You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson. Today, we're back with Tenny McCarty, the author of the book, Shades of Hope. Today, Tenny will continue to share her story, her life's work in treating sugar addiction along with other addictions at Shades of Hope. She also shares more about what help they offer the families. Let's get back to Tenny. The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. When I've worked with people in treatment centers who've had surgery and then end up in the treatment center with chemical dependency, there's tremendous shame. But the other one that I see the shame in is people who have eaten their way through the surgery, right? Had the surgery, tremendous weight loss, and then end up gaining it all back. Was that part of your story when you had the surgery? Did it give you what you hoped for? What was the challenges after the surgery for you? I had it in my mind that I could eat everything I wanted and lose weight. Well, that's not true. I did lose a lot of weight at first. I got very ill and uh, lost calcium. I couldn't absorb anything. But then, you know, the body wants to restore itself. My body began to kind of get within a normal frame. And uh, the eating, I could not stop the eating. I ate more after the surgery than I did before I had it. I could not stop. I didn't gain all of it back, but, you know, I had lost probably 70 pounds and no, I'd lost over hundred pounds, but I gained probably maybe 60 of that back. And you talk about the shame. Oh, so embarrassed. I mean, I, I, and I had lost weight before and I'd Mm -hmm. gained it back within the year. But now I'd had surgery, had half of my intestines cut out, and I still couldn't t- stop the eating. And uh, so I gained a lot of it back. And then that's when the bulimia started. I mm-hmm. thought, well, if I lost the weight because of, of the diarrhea, what I need to do is take laxatives, you know. Anyway, I got very sick, real sick with the bulimia for 13 years. And not everyone has to get as sick as I did. They do not have to. I just didn't know there was a solution until I heard about treatment. I heard about it one day, three days later, I was there. I did not know I could stop doing what I was doing. And we see people, we get them all the time in treatment that have uh, eaten through it and the shame of that. And we have them that have had every type of bariatric surgery. They've had it all. You know, and until it's an inside job, until we change on the inside, uh, I don't believe that there's going to be any recovery. It takes doing the same thing over every day, every day, every day. There's no quick fix in it. Right. It's making the decision of how we're going to eat. And, you know, I don't believe in diets. I went on them for years. They don't work because we go off of them. 
meal plans. We do a really good meal plan. Misty here is our director of food services, and we believe in presenting very healthy but beautiful meals. I mean, food can look good. It can smell good. It can taste good. Food is not the enemy. Right. It's what we do with it, that is. But her mom uh, has worked for us part-time, and she went on Shade's food plan and has lost uh, probably 75, 80 pounds just staying on the Shade's food plan and being around and hearing about the disease, you know. Mm-hmm. So people can recover, but it's like they've got to get an absent. An alcoholic cannot recover, you know, this while still drinking. <laughs> Right. So what differences do you see for family members? What do your services for family members look like? What do you see as being different for families of people with food addictions and eating disorders versus chemical dependency? Is there a difference? Is it the same? I don't see a lot of difference other than, and I'm not talking about mothers, because I am one, but with eating disorder clients, a lot of times that enmeshment with the mother, that mother-daughter struggle is so big, you know, where the daughters try to leave home. Anyway, the a lot of times the eating disorder is a vehicle that keeps the mother and daughter together. A lot of times they'll even practice eating disorders together. But to get back to family week, I'm going to brag. I think we have uh, do some of the best family work. We used to do a full five days, and it's not as practical. We cannot get people committed to that. So we do a family program in three days, but there again, we work nights, and we get as much work done in the three days and evenings as we did in the, the five days. But our family bragging on it uh is, is very thorough. And there again, it's not all just sitting around talking. We do give some education, but it's sure. really, we get to the core of uh, the uh, problem in the family. And a lot of times, you know, the healthiest one is the one that shows up to treatment. And we get the family in there and we really get to see those dynamics. And, uh, but, you know, we have got, had whole families generations recover and that's the exciting part in this business is to watch people recover and then their parents and then their i mean we've treated parents grandparents you know have treated been here long enough that we have treated children of people that have come through here so it's definitely a family disease and families need to be involved in it and it's not a you bringing the parents in and beating them up it is about seeing how we can help the, and really the vehicle that gets them here is the disease, you know, and the love of the client. I mean, they love the client or they wouldn't be here. They would not be here. So I love doing those family weeks and I'm looking forward to getting back to them. Another thing that we're going to start is doing some free standing family weeks I've been asked to do these before, and, uh, you know, if we've got someone that comes in like for an intensive, and they don't need long-term treatment, and if they do the intensive and maybe stay another week, we're going to look at doing family weeks for those folks, because a lot of them don't need 42 days of treatment. 
but they do need a family week. Mm-hmm. We have seen so many miracles. Uh, I say family week, but I mean family work. Right. So that's something that we're going to start offering. And I'm going to do, that's going to be kind of my project. I want to do a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I want to be involved in it as much as I can. Because that's really why I went into the business is to work with children and families. The whole system gets sick. The whole system needs to have an opportunity to get well. My language is they deserve it, right? They've been infected by this disease. They deserve the help. And a lot of family will do everything for their identified patient and neglect themselves so terribly and be so resistant to spending time and resources on themselves. Yeah. Um, but we have had them walk across the street from family week and check themselves into treatment. We've seen Absolutely. that many times, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's the good news is that people can recognize that their their own addiction or eating disorder or codependency. But bottom line, what we treat here is codependency because that's the underlining of uh, underneath most addiction is that codependence piece, you know. Well, and your story shares the hope that when one person starts their journey of recovery, the impact of the family can be seeing recovery leads to them wanting recovery. You know, because I think we get stuck in the shame when we have the disease that we've done so much harm to our family and they're never going to be okay. And it's all our fault and all of those negative tapes that click in. There is hope if people start changing in the family for recovery. You know, your daughter handing you that bag of meditation books is such a powerful image of that exact truth. And today she's my business partner. She started with me the day that we opened Shade. She's on the the money side. She's the accounting uh, side of it. And then, uh, you know, I have one daughter that always danced to a different tune. You know, she is the one that really got us on the first name basis with every principal that she ever had. She was our little acting out child. Well, she uh-huh. is a therapist here and has been for over 30 years. And like I said, she is my co-therapist in uh, doing the intensives. And then my oldest daughter, she went back 10 years ago and got her master's degree. And I never dreamed she would be working here, but she's come to work for us. And she is wonderful. Uh, I'm bragging on my kids, but they're good. I mean, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have them just because it's a family business. I mean, they're, they, they do a good job. I think yeah. that's part of the beauty of your treatment center, that the family is involved. Yeah. Again, it speaks and, to the hope. Well, and then my grandson is 20 and he's going to school in St. Louis. Uh, and during the summer, he comes and works. He's a phys ed major. He comes in the summertime and works with our clients on the exercise part. So he's really getting to learn about, you know, what we've all done for years. And he, he fits in really good. <laughs> the clients love him. I bet. I bet. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. If you ever want to gain support, education, or coaching regarding food addiction, reach out to me on my Work With Margaret page. If you feel you need inpatient treatment, make sure to take a look at the Shades of Hope website. You can find the links in my show notes. And as always, please subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite platform.
You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show. One of the stories that stood out for me when I met you in Las Vegas those years ago was you had just done recently a experiment with brain scans, a risk I look at it as because you hadn't had sugar and you introduced it into your system to see what difference the scan made. Can you talk about that experience? Because to me, that seems like such a high risk thing and yet such a service opportunity to share and educate people about the way our brain reacts if we have the disease and we introduce sugar. Well, I have to admit when they call me, you know, we had uh, we'd had the opportunity to do a, an eight-part docu-series for Oprah. And after that came out, we had a, a network, I think it was CBS, I wanted to come and do an intensive, film an intensive. And so they called me and wanted to know if I would be willing to come up and participate in uh, this research that they were doing. Well, I was coming off of an intensive and I just had a few minutes to talk and I agreed to go and I had no idea what they were going to do. I just Mm. went. So I got there and what it was, they had the scientists and then the medical people there and they did an MRI on my brain. And so the scientists told me that they would put me in the tube there and that there would be two tubes over my mouth and that they would show me a picture of a frosted glass of water and then drop two or three drops in my mouth and run the machine. And then they would do that with a frosted glass of milkshake. Now, that is the first time that I, I believe that I was conscious that I was going to get sugar. Right. And here I was getting ready to go in there. And I just made the decision, all right, I'll do it. So by the end of that, and it took a long time, I want to say 80 minutes, they took a long time. And by the end of that, I was sucking that tube that had the chocolate in it, just just sucking, trying to get more out of it. I mean, just that quickly, it Mm -hmm. activated that need for more. But when I came out, I'm so grateful. I was deathly ill. I was throwing up. I was dizzy. And so they took me back to the hotel. Yeah, they set it up, but it did not make me want more sugar. Mm. You know, I'm glad I had that bad experience with it. And they showed a brain of a normal person and it had a little activity. And then they showed my brain and they said that it looked like a Roman candle had exploded in my brain. Uh, that my brain had poor activity on it with sugar than most of the drug addicts, the heroin addicts, cocaine that they had tested. Now, that's on sugar. But even today, a lot of people want to deny that there is an addictive component to sugar. I mean, not all of us have it. But I mean, the only way you know if you have it is You know, you've got to get off of it and see if there is some withdrawal. And if you're really a sugar addict, if you get off of it, you're going to get sick. And usually that looks like flu symptoms, maybe even hot and cold sweats. There'll be a withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And uh, then another guideline is uh, if you can't eat just one small portion. The guideline for any addiction is if you can take it or leave it. You can have 
two little uh, ounces of wine and walk away from it, not ever think about wine till the next dinner party or something, you might not be an alcoholic. But if you drank that and then had to go buy a bottle at the liquor store before you go home or the grocery store, you might be an alcoholic. And the mm-hmm. same with sugar. You know, if it if you have to have it or if when you do eat it, if it creates that the craving doesn't start until the substance is put in the body. Mm-hmm. You know, the mental obsession is there. We remember what it feels like. I was so stunned when sugar was coming out of my body that I got to a point where I realized how numb I had lived from the neck down. I did not give prudence to the power of the addiction that I had. I thought it was still somehow different than chemicals. And so when I saw that image that you shared and I saw the change in your brain, it was like, again, a validation of what I knew to be true in me that is so easily dismissed by so many. I wonder how you continue your passion and your drive when there are naysayers and people dismissing the power of sugar and addiction around food? Well, I'm past the years of waving a banner and trying to change everyone's mind. Each person has to figure that out for themselves. And, uh, you know, here at Shades, we detox people. We take them off of all sugar and we take them off of gluten. And I didn't do that at first, but gluten... Wheat doesn't even have any similarity, you know, bread doesn't to what it did during our forefathers' days. And so we take them off of caffeine, we take them off of sugar, we take them off of gluten. It's a non-smoking center, one of the few non-smoking centers. And what I tell people is I'm not saying you can't eat sugar or gluten. Your body will tell you. And what I tell them when you get out of here If you want to go back to eating sugar, eat it with intention. Put it in your meal plan. Have someone witness it. Don't sneak it. Don't, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's what we do. We're, you know, food addicts. We're sneak eaters. We are. Uh, But have someone witness it and then notice what it does to your body and to your brain. And then it may not do anything right that minute. But two days later, that might be all you can think about is sugar, sugar, sugar. So your brain and your body is your best way to know for anyone to know if they have a problem with sugar. And a lot of times when they go in the halfway house, we've had them to experiment. You know, if they're dead set, if they know they're going to eat sugar, we'll do it in the halfway house. Do it with intention, have an audience, and then notice, notice the change. There are people, I think, that can safely eat sugar. I like the do it with intention and do it with a witness. Because left to my own devices, even if I did it with intention, trying to do it by myself without discussing it with a sponsor or a fellow or someone who understands this, I worry that my disease would be tripped and I would completely lie to myself. Oh, yeah. That's what we do. (laughs) Really good at it. Yeah. But if you've got someone there to witness it, It makes it a whole different deal. And a lot of times it takes the fun out of it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're so sneaky. We are indeed. So I want to be um, intentional with your time. I thank you for doing this with me. And maybe to leave the show with, what's your number one hope for families 
who face this disease in their family? What would you say that would be? What would you want for families who are out there and the diseases in the family? My hope is for the family to get help. If we can get the family, we've got the client. We see it all the time. And it's not the family's fault. They didn't cause it, can't cure it, can't control it. But if the family can get help and they quit doing the behavior, the codependency part, the caretaking, the lying, all of that, if they can take care of themselves, if we can get the family some help, we've got the client. Mm. I mean, because the client will not, once all of the enablers stop, the client will many times they really see that they do have a problem. And when they don't, people die from these diseases. They die all the time. But what about the families? They need help regardless of where the addict or the eating disorder person gets help or not. And my hope for families is get your own help and to know you love your loved ones. You want the best for them. But as when I was in my disease of codependency, my best <laughs> almost killed three really good alcoholics, almost loved them to death. You know, I'd rescue them when they'd get about an inch from their bottom. Mm-hmm. So it's about taking care of ourselves, loving an addict, and it's not about deserting them. It's about yeah. standing with them, but not doing for them what they need to be doing for themselves. Well said. Thank you. Tenny McCarty, I thank you. I thank you for being a woman who lives her recovery with integrity and generously gives away what you have been given. I know your open, honest sharing touched my life many years ago when I heard you, and it continues to touch me today. You inspire me to keep sharing my story, and I believe the fact that people can find you on your Tenny Talks on Wednesdays on Zoom is a blessing to their recovery if they choose. I am humbled that you took the time to be a guest on the podcast, and I know my listeners benefited greatly from you. I want to thank my guests for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time, please take care of you.